Hi, and welcome back to the Extempers Bible Podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Shruti. And today we're here with the champions of Stanford. There's two of them. And that's because Stanford is actually a split tournament. It's just how they do it there. For now, give us a quick introduction of who you are. I'll go first. Okay, so hi, I'm Michelle. Um, I go to Harker. It's a school in California. And I was the Stanford National Extemp Champion. And just a little bit about me. I've competed in Extemp since ninth grade. And um, I think that's all for now, just for a quick introduction. I'm Aiden Marks. I go to Benilde St. Margaret's. It's a small school in Minnesota. And I've been competing in Extemp since eighth grade. First off, let's talk about like the tournament format. Stanford was still online, correct? So what was that like going back to the sort of uh, NSDA campus, the whole Zoom speech and debate thing? What was that like? Me, the majority of my high school competition was online. So it wasn't that much of a deviation from what I was used to because the only in-person tournament I've been to ever since we went into lockdown was NBA and that was in 2022. Um, but I didn't go to nationals last year because of a separate conflict, which would have been kind of like the return to in-person competition. And I kind of didn't go to many fall tournaments either. So this was just simply, you know, a continuation of back then. So I would say for me, it was pretty normal, but um, perhaps Aiden, you might have had a different experience. I've been pretty lucky competing in Minnesota where last year, all of our tournaments were in person. So the only virtual tournament I did last year would be NITOC. So I guess I had a little bit of familiarity with my setup from then. Otherwise, I missed out on the tournament that most of my team did that weekend. So just doing rounds from home, kind of checking in, seeing how the team was doing throughout the week. But yeah, pretty chill to just do a tournament all the way at home. No extra travel time. Just really nice to kind of be in an environment I'm familiar with. And then any thoughts on the fact that Sanford, they do it split, where you have one division for DX and other for IX? Um, I would say the main thing is just that you get to kind of have multiple opportunities. Um, and so it's nice because for me, that was my first tournament and perhaps a little more than half a year. So it was good to get a lot of variety and like topic choices. And then also you see a lot of the same people double entering in both and Stanford gives you the option to do so. Uh, so it was nice to do that as well. I'll always take the extra rounds if I can get it. So yeah, super cool to double enter. And then also enter an impromptu that that didn't go quite as well. But yeah, it's nice to get extra rounds. Always good to get more practice. So Aiden, you were triple entered at Stanford? Yes. I'm pretty sure Michelle was... was as well. Oh, wow. How was that yeah. like? <laughs> triple entering was, yeah, pretty fun. Um, it was quite a lot to have, what, 12 prelim rounds throughout the tournament and then break rounds. But yeah, again, I appreciate the extra rounds. And then when it comes to Stanford specifically, what were your guys' favorite or least favorite questions? And was there anything interesting you saw when it came to the rounds? Um, I can't remember the questions that precisely, but I would say one thing about Stanford is they don't do a lot of more or less creative hypothetical questions that you see at a lot of national circuit tournaments in the like semi or final round. Um, so a lot of their questions were more kind of like rational based or like why blank, blank, blank. So um, there was a little less creativity, but of course, it was still fun to kind of get all those questions and think about them. I don't remember any of my questions, and I don't have my flows on me, so I can't really speak to that. But overall, I thought the questions were solid. Um, nothing special, but at the same time, 
many local tournaments have some pretty questionable questions where we all kind of like to complain about them, and I didn't have that here, so I guess that's a good thing. How were your final rounds like at Stanford? Um, well, okay, so I had IX and then NX, but I think they were at different times because one of them like broke to quarters first and the other straight to semis. Both of them, okay, I don't remember my IX topic anymore, but my NX was on the tech sector layoff. So it was definitely something that's been in the news a lot. And so that made it a lot easier to answer compared to the IX one. I like simply had not read up on anything regarding that. Um, but it was just your typical online final round where you would go into NSDA campus, give your speech, and then leave. Um, so it was a pretty ordinary like online tournament. My final round was nothing special. I actually thought it was one of my weaker speeches. So I was totally shocked. Like I was spam refreshing tab room, trying to see results, trying to see results. It was late at night because I'm in Minnesota, completely different time zone. And then I check Instagram and Teddy had DM'd me that, oh, I guess I won. And so I checked tab and like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. But it was surprising. I feel like my best rounds were quarterfinals in US extemp and then semifinals in international extemp. So by the time I got to that final round, so, so tired. I was ready to be done. I was kind of out of it. And yeah, my question was about Chile's president, Gabriel Boric. I didn't know too much about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, not too much to talk about there, really. Just kind of doing my thing, and I guess I guess the judges liked it. Wait, so you found out from Teddy before you like the actual thing got to you? Yep. Because he's on top of his extent tournament news. Then I think we'll jump into, I guess, the meat of how we do our regular interviews, because we only have two of you here. Um, that is, how did y'all both get started with Extemp? Why did y'all end up choosing this event in particular out of the entire gallery of NSD events? So I go to a K-12 school, so I'm lucky that I got to start speech pretty early in sixth grade. Um, and I did like a lot of different events back then. And I just found out pretty quickly that things like interp simply were not my strong suit. Um, and I picked up impromptu pretty early in like sixth grade. And that was the main thing I did throughout middle school because I really liked it. And it was a very short event. So I got to get out of my rounds really fast as well. Um, and then starting in ninth grade, since impromptu isn't a main event on the national circuit, I was just kind of testing out different, more like platform-like events like uh, info. But then I started extemp around like spring of 2020 and I really liked it. So I just kind of continued with it. I am a debate kid. That's how I got my start in speech. So the very, very beginning of my start in speech goes back to a tradition my junior high school does, where students have to give a three-minute speech on any topic of their choosing in front of the entire junior high. I'd say, what, it's probably 300, 400 people total. Such a stressful experience. My speech, not the best. My slideshow broke in the middle of it. Super, super stressful. And I remember after that speech, just telling myself, oh man, like did a horrible job. Like I just wanna become a better public speaker. Like I don't wanna embarrass myself in front of a crowd again. And so then the next year I joined debate, really enjoyed it. And from there I was indoctrinated by the debate team captain to just pull up to speech tryouts. I wasn't given a choice. I was forced to do extemp, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I've never, well, I thought about doing other categories a few times, but I've realized that I don't have the energy to write and then memorize a full 10-minute speech. 
I'm completely there with you on that. You know, I was also a debater before I did speech, so I completely get it. Like, oh, I would hate doing cases with my partner. It would just be so much hassle. But then, like, you, I really like that self-sufficiency that Extemp gives you. Like, you're super driven. I completely get that. So since you guys are both from different circuits, Michelle, you're from the California circuit, and Aiden, you're all the way on the other side of the country, what would you guys say are, like, interesting parts about each of your individual experiences? Okay, so I would say maybe one main thing is, at least in the Bay Area, well, the people here are very strong in extent, so it's definitely nice going to local tournaments, um, although I don't do that as much anymore. But another thing is a lot of the judging pool are completely parents, which is quite interesting, and it's different from when I go to, like, let's say, um, Emory or other tournaments where the majority of the judging pool isn't like that. So I've had a few interesting, like, run-ins with parents, and they do... Um, kind of focus a lot on like more or less the ethos of your speech. So that's something that I learned to kind of adapt to on the California circuit. But of course, I really love being on like competing on the national circuit too. Before I talk about Minnesota, I want to briefly touch on California. I listened to Teddy's interview with Extempers. Shout out Teddy. Amazing analysis of California judges. And so I was initially skeptical because I've heard, oh man, they're all emotion judges. Like if you don't have judges, if you're not funny, you're going to get dropped. So apparently I just have like the best California lay appeal, which I really appreciate. I don't think if I had tech judges in that final round or in any of the out rounds, I would have done nearly as well. But I guess just kind of like ambiguous, moderate, progressive analysis just is the sweet spot for the California circuit. As far as the Minnesota circuit goes, I guess the main aspect that makes it unique is just how incredibly competitive it is. I mean, I think... People have heard about it time and time again from all of the Minnesota finalists, whether on the NSDA's interview or all of the NCFL finalists. But the Minnesota circuit stacked every single year. And because our circuit starts so late and then I guess goes, ends about spring break time, so then I guess you have the TOCs and then the national championships, you really don't get to see the Minnesota circuit in full force on the national stage until those final few tournaments. But then I think you really do see the full force where you have people consistently breaking out rounds who are performing well at locals. I think it's pretty interesting. There's quite a few people who, of course, dominate the Minnesota local circuit. And then you have other people who won't even necessarily consistently final. Maybe they'll drop next a few times, whatever it may be. And then they go to a national circuit tournament and they octo, they quarter, whatever it may be. Like for me personally, Stanford is actually the first extemp tournament I've ever won. Um, I've gotten close a few times this year with like two seconds. But yeah, I think that attests to how insanely competitive the Minnesota local circuit is. I think if I had flooded the Stanford pool with a bunch of fellow Minnesotans who just wanted to do a different tournament and get some more rounds, the outcome would be a lot different. I don't think you would see the Harker domination in USX. I think it would have been all Minnesota kids. So quite drastically different circuits. Uh, an interesting take on, I guess, potential Minnesota hegemony. Um, but yeah, uh, let's go on to who is your extem crush or role model, and if you knew them at all. Um, I think a lot of people have said this before, but for me, it's Cameron Roberts. Um, she graduated last year. I met her in MBA at MBA in 2022, and I thought she was just a very genuine person. 
And it felt like every conversation that I had with her, she was like fully invested in it. And she truly just like was super nice to everyone and talked to everyone regardless of whether or not she knew them. And, um, in the few times that I got to just like uh, talk to her, she was always very kind. And, um, when I wasn't at nationals, um, we like talked a bit on social media too. So just the way that she approaches the event, not just competitively, but also the way she like, she treats everyone else in the activity. That's something I looked up, look up to. Let's see. My role model would probably have to be former teammate, former captain, Jackie Picaro. Shout out Jackie. Amazing. Um, BSM specifically doesn't do many national circuit tournaments. And so until junior year, I had no exposure to any of the big tournaments, any of the big names. I didn't know who anyone was. Um, but Jackie was team captain for quite a while, consistently de destroyed the Minnesota local tournament. Um, yeah, huge name to look up to for our school specifically. Coaches for us to this day. Yeah, major inspiration how to do extemp well. So did you guys have any specific moments or like clicks when you realize you're actually pretty good and like, it, you know, extemp was the event for you? I mean, I've always really enjoyed extemp. I would say I'm a pretty late bloomer. Like I didn't really have a decisive moment where I thought, oh, I'm pretty good. Well, maybe, maybe I did, but I'll get to that in a little bit. I guess like freshman year, I broke maybe three times, got like a merit award for missing finals by one place. Sophomore year over COVID, had a few final results, didn't do too well, mostly dropped my rounds. Then junior year, started to do all right, but don't look at my speechwire page. It's just fives and sevens for every single final round. But then in the postseason, things started to kick off. I quarterfinaled at NITOC, which was really surprising to me. I didn't expect that to happen. And then leading up to that, and then the aftermath of that, preparing for NCFLs, I just kind of went back and I watched some final round videos. I watched the NITOC final, watched the ETOC, UK talk for the past, say, two years. And then I went to NCFLs and it was pretty successful. I mean, I went through every single round thing and okay, these are pretty good speeches, right? Like, I'm happy with it. I'm having fun. And then you get to day two with the elimination rounds. And I look to the bricks and I tell my coach, holy cow, I broke. And then the next round, holy cow, I broke again. Surely I'm not going to break the next time. And then I break again. And then I'm in semifinals somehow. And I think it's at that point that I realize, okay, I must be doing something right. I don't really know what it is, but hey, I'll take it. Okay. So for me, I would say it was um, at nationals, NSDA nationals in 2021. So it was online, but the way that they kind of released the people who made it onto the next round was through this like dramatic online scrolling thing and you would see your code like your four number code and I did not expect um, walking out of like the semifinals of NSD nationals to make it to the final round in IX that year but in that moment I had a little more faith in myself and I would say that it's just I really enjoyed being on the circuit as like one of the when I was in like ninth and tenth grade when the people in the round near me were all older and they they were a lot more experienced and uh, they had a lot of good advice to give and they were all very like experienced and knowledgeable um, because just being around them motivated me. And I would say honestly motivated me than more. So when I'm like the senior and the activity, um, but in that moment, I really think that that was something that I realized that, you know, extent is something I want to continue doing. And I really love it. Just a quick question. Did either of you go to like any sort of speech camp or extent camp? I never went to any. Nope. Not here. It was all around. Interesting. 
Uh, I guess like I added that question because it seemed like a good amount of people end up going to like a camp, whether it be like UDNIF or GMIF or something like that. I mean, on a similar note, talking about summer camps, I think there are definitely some camps out there that strive for affordability and accessibility. But overall, I've been really or increasingly invested in equity and speech and debate, talking about kind of the disparities between small school, big school. And I think as someone coming from a small school, um, it's important for other people from these small schools to recognize camps. They're a great way to get better. But if they're inaccessible, um, the next best option is just reaching out to people on your local circuit who are doing well, because I guarantee that most of them will take the time to spectate a practice round or just give you some advice. And again, if you can't do a camp, like just reaching out definitely helps as well. What would y'all have said is your biggest challenge in XTEM? And how did you overcome it? Or how are you working on overcoming it? I would say my greatest strength, starting on a different note, is making connections pretty quickly. I think that I've been pretty successful with a surprising lack of knowledge on most topics. And I think I've gotten away with them in pre-Lebrowns, with parent judges who don't really know the topics, just speaking fluently giving some analysis, some connections that sound like they make sense intuitively. And then I think that's been my biggest problem in the final rounds, going back one year, going back two years, consistently didn't do well in finals, largely because so incredibly stressful, right? Like I joined XTEM to get better at public speaking. I can still not speak in front of a crowd. It's my least favorite part of the activity. But I think the other half of that is having better judges who are looking for content specifically And oftentimes, I just don't give good content. And so that's definitely been the biggest factor holding me back, doing more research. But I think that this year specifically, I've started to develop a pretty wide base of knowledge that I can apply to a lot of different situations. And so I've realized that I don't necessarily have to be super well-read on every individual topic to do well. But if I have a pretty good base of knowledge on widely applicable concepts or themes on what's going on in the world, then I can apply those pretty well. Okay, so kind of going off of what Aiden said, I also hate speaking in front of large crowds, which is kind of ironic because like a lot of people join speech and debate to kind of deal with, you know, improving public speaking. So I would say like speaking wise, I'm fine. It's just like when you put me in front of a large crowd, everything kind of goes haywire. And so that was something that was largely avoided because a lot of the tournaments were online. I just had to kind of show um, like from shoulders up or something in front of a Zoom screen. So that was a lot easier than like standing up in front of a pretty uh, large audience. Um, So I guess just continuously pushing myself to go to in-person tournaments, which is something that I've been a little, you know, not so good at doing in the past few months, just because like, I also have a lot of stuff on the side as well. Um, But I guess, yeah, just going to more in-person tournaments would definitely help with that. So Michelle, I just want to ask you specifically, um, you said you had like a lot of online tournaments. Is California still mostly online for the part? I don't think so. So my school doesn't go to leagues anymore. I'm pretty sure they're in person now, but um, like compared to a lot of other states, California's tournaments seem to be more or less online, even when like other states were opening up. Um, next, we wanted to ask what your guys' favorite news sources, books, or even pieces of theory are when you use XTEM. 
I have always liked the think tanks, um, like CSIS, Brookings, et cetera. And I think one thing that made me like them so much was during, sorry, I speak so much to like the online tournament time because that was the majority of when I was competing. But um, during that time, like they would, because like DC was shut down, they would have like everyday online lectures or like conversations with experts in the field and it would be free and accessible to the public. And so whenever, if I wanted to prepare for a tournament or if I had free time, sometimes I would just log in and watch one of those um, conversations and get truly like critical and expert opinions on specific international or domestic issues. Um, I think a lot of those events are now like in person. And so you don't really see that many like live streams of them anymore. But just having that constantly every day to my availability was something that really helped throughout the years. I'd say foundationally, I love writers. Absolutely. Just the best. Um, consistent good content, just solid reporting, but their exclusives are also super, super interesting. I don't know how regularly they publish them, but whenever they do, I make a point to read it. I also like the think tanks, definitely. And then more recently, I shelled out a subscription for Foreign Affairs magazine, and that has probably been my favorite source, hands down. Basically, it's just long form essays, but they're all from experts in the fields um, they know. That was so awkward. Oh, boy. But I would say foreign affairs is great because I can reference experts for any speech I'm talking about. I can search foreign affairs, the topic I'm talking about, and bam. Name, they're a professor at some credible think tank or some school, and then just super high-level content. I'd say the biggest barrier to foreign affairs is obviously that all of their articles are really long, and so you actually have to be intentional about taking the time to read them. But my favorite sources have always been from them. Oh, so finally we have a non-economist source on the podcast. Nice to see a new generation. I've never been a huge fan of The Economist. I think that if I ever really looked into it or had the opportunity to use it more regularly, that would totally be my number one source. Um, but yeah, I never ended up using it too much. And as just a little bit of uniqueness, I'm kind of glad I did. Like along those lines, what is one source that every extemper should be using or should read? Um, I would say, well, the think tanks, but also Aiden did bring up foreign affairs and I also really like foreign affairs. I actually have like, this is the new one, I'm pretty sure, but it's really great. Um, the only thing is I think it, it's pretty expensive, right? Like the subscription, I can't remember, but um, I think it's just, if you have the print version, it's obviously nice to just like, reading your free time. And also if you're just using like the online version as well, as Aiden said, the only barrier is like the length of the articles, but it really goes into a lot of details and um, kind of has a lot of good like contextualization as well about like not just what's happening currently, but also leading up to it. And so um, if you're someone who perhaps just entered the activity and have no idea, like the backstory behind a lot of the events going on in the world, it really helps just to kind of clear up some confusion in that area too. You like had it on hand. <laughs> It was just next to me with all my other mail. <laughs> She's a true extemper. And then Aiden? I would obviously say, again, the sources I already mentioned, writers, especially their exclusives, and then foreign affairs. But I would say that for people looking to get some high-level sourcing, Carnegie is also great. Um, so many great pieces, either blog posts or reports, for such a wide range of international issues. I cite them probably at least once every other speech, at absolute least. 
potentially my most used source. And then another quick question, which is something that I've also noticed just like watching people and talking with others on the circuit. Do you have like a source that you consistently use just for background information? I don't think I do actually, just because like, um, in the background, a lot of times I like to cite like maybe a specific person or like a specific scholar who's in the field, just because I feel like it's nice to, at the beginning of your speech, like give a little credit to a lot of wonderful people who are like doing all this in-depth research into different issues. And of course I can't always find something like that. So in that case, I kind of resort to your typical, like big publications that have done a lot of like background information, but I don't, yeah, I don't think I have like a specific one, like go-to source in the beginning. Yeah, I don't have a go-to source either. I'd say for a lot of obscure, like especially international conflict, Council on Foreign Relations, amazing. CFR has gotten me through so many confusing topics. Very, very grateful for their global conflict tracker, their briefs, their blogs. Very, very good for some base level contextualization. And they hyperlink a lot of great articles. So just pulling that up quickly, I can find probably three other good sources I can use in my speech, even if I don't end up referencing CFR directly. Interesting. I know that like CFR comes up a lot for IX people because like they always have these great like explainers that are just good to just, I guess, shove in for background information. Like I've also heard like the New York Times a lot, Reuters, NPR, those, I guess, like basic news wires. Um, but yeah. Okay, so I feel like this will make me look kind of bad, but like this year, uh, so I'll talk about last year because this year, like I, so at my school, speech is like a class, but um, starting in 10th grade, it's more or less a free period where if you have, let's say, a lot of work you need to work on, you can be like, hey, can I check out class? And then you can just go to the school library and do homework. And I have used that ability probably every single class period this year. So um, I haven't gotten a lot of practice in, but I think like in 2021, like in my sophomore year, I did a lot of practice and that meant a lot of like reading up uh, every week. And then like before tournaments, I would do practice speeches, but like in my junior and senior year, I didn't do that much like practice speeches. I've always kind of hated practice speeches. I don't know why. I know they're like the best way to improve, but um, for me, honestly, like tournaments were a great way to improve just because I went to a lot of tournaments like frequently and consistently in like 10th and 11th grade. And I would say that would have, that contributed a lot to just being consistent. And so like this year, I haven't gone to that many. Stanford was my first tournament coming back uh, from like half a year or so. Um, so yeah. Wow, just came back as a champion. I see. So Aiden, how's your practice routine like? I know you were laughing. Yeah, you three saw my reaction. Let's go sophomore and junior year, I'm for about two practice speeches a week. Senior year, um, to borrow the words of a fellow Minnesota extemper, as a senior facing the inevitable senior slide, I love extemp for the 37 minutes I'm in it. So filling in the gaps for the other however many minutes of the day, that means I'm mostly procrastinating trying not to do practice speeches. Again, my coaches know all too well. I will try my best to just go for a topic discussion to get my practice requirement in. Um, I'll do practice speeches if I can. I'll read if I can. Like, it, it sounds pretty bad, um, but my practice routine is in shambles. It is, it is not good. New extempers, please do not follow it. It is not a recipe for success. I do not advise it. I mean, clearly something worked, right? 
So I don't think discredit yourself a little too much. And practice speeches aren't for everyone. I feel like I love that adrenaline rush when you're in the tournament, but it's so hard to motivate yourself outside. Like you just don't get that same experience. I agree. I feel like my actual speeches are way better than my practice speeches just because there's like pressure, there's adrenaline. You're in a suit and that's a huge confidence boost, at least for me. It's like sometimes practice speeches aren't for everyone. That's just a thing. I totally agree. The discrepancy between my practice speeches and my real speeches is huge. Almost every single practice speech to this day, I'll get comments, Marks, why are you bobbing so much? You're rocking back and forth on your feet. Don't do that. I don't like it. And then I get to a tournament. Dress shoes on, in a suit, feel nice and confident. Doesn't happen. All goes away. Plus, that's another reason why I did Stanford. I wanted a bunch of rounds because it's really nice to just have the adrenaline of actually competing. You can't recreate that in practice speeches. And ultimately, you don't perform, in my opinion, as well as you do in practice speeches as you do in tournaments for that reason. So, if you're not speaking for practice, hopefully you're reading. So, I guess, how many hours would you estimate or how much time do you spend on like just reading, going through articles? Again, we're getting a lot of shaking things. <laughs> Kevin, I'm going to boycott this question. I feel cold. Gonna... I refuse to okay, answer. Maybe instead of hours... Like, how do you spend your time reading? Like, what do you do? What does the reading involve? <laughs> Is that a fair question? Sort of. Okay, I'll speak to it. Like, so like Aiden, I think senioritis has really hit. Um, but um, I would say the one thing that has benefited is just because I was so active on the circuit in my sophomore and junior year, and I did in fact read quite a lot during those years, um, what I started to notice was like, even at the Stanford tournament, like I had no idea what was happening in the world besides like, you know, like the general things that everyone should know. Um, but a lot of these, like, let's say international conflicts, even as so many developments are happening recently, the kind of foundation and like the foundations of like, let's say power politics in different regions still tend to be very like similar to what it was two years ago. And so it like, in a way helped that, like, at least I knew what was happening like two years ago. And so I wasn't starting out from nowhere, but, um, I would say obviously like if you're really interested in or competing consistently, you should be reading and you should not be doing like what we're doing right now. Yeah. Sorry. God, you've got like foreign affairs right next to you, but it's unopened. It's in the like wrap still. <laughs> I was worried about this coming into this interview because I feel like I'm the worst possible representative for a positive practice routine that will set you up for success. I have this really bad habit this year especially of opening like 50, 60 tabs, adding them all to my reading list, and then letting them just collect cobwebs. And maybe I'll return to them stressing for another tournament, right? Like I have nap calls coming up next week. I think midway through the week, I'll probably just go through my reading list like Marks, why did you not read through all of these hundreds of articles? This would have done well, please. Um, but yeah, like when I do read, I try to go for those longer form pieces. I think if you can't go for breadth, go for depth, because it's better to have really solid content on a few speeches. You know, you can knock those out of the park. Hopefully, you gain some broad conceptual understanding that you can cross apply to a bunch of different topic areas as opposed to being up to date on the latest developments in every single conflict going around the globe, but not really having a critical understanding of how it plays into all of these other pre-existing tensions 
or how that actually relates to a deeper analysis and answering a question. So what I'm hearing is even though you guys think you have bad strategies, you actually have good ones because you go for debt or you have like building on previous information. This is me just making it sound good. No, I I, th- I mean, clearly something worked, right? You can't just say that you have a horrible practice routine and then end up with these results. So actually, I was curious because for the things that you read, do you file? If so, how do you file? My team has for a long time been a big advocate of filing, especially under the autocratic reign of Jackie, previously mentioned, shout out once again, we filed religiously, at least in international. I had a really bad habit freshman and sophomore year of dumping maybe a hundred articles at a time into this big unsorted pile. And at 10 o'clock the night before a tournament, Jackie would sort everything into region, country, topic, if there are specific subcategories. USX, always kind of the forgotten category on my team, so that never got as much attention. And then the past two years, we've really fallen off. I've tried to file some articles. This year, I filed at the beginning of the year, and then I realized no one else on the team is using the files. And at this point, if I'm filing a source, I may as well just have it kind of sitting around in my brain because I've used it multiple times, or I know the keywords to access it pretty quickly, right? Like, I think I have a pretty fast search time. And so it's not been super useful. I think the only situation in which you have to be careful would be, do you know there are tournaments coming up where you'll have to have something filed, right? Like for the Minnesota section tournaments last year, maybe for state as well, we weren't allowed to use internet, which feels like a really, really archaic rule that I was upset about. But thankfully I had some articles filed and right before the tournament, I was able to file a bunch more. So I'd say that's the only advantage as far as what I actually try to file when I do do it. I try to, again, go for longer pieces, reports, think tank pieces, anything with deeper analysis that'll be pretty timeless. Um, And I try to stay away from just diluting with a bunch of current updates. I think my school used to have a subscription to one of the like filing services before internet was allowed mostly at, at most tournaments. But um, no one really used that. And also it, it felt pretty disconnected to be like filing at, on your own while like each teammate was doing that. And then you, there would never be kind of like a collective um, vibe to it, I would say. So um, we do a lot more just like group tournament prep, like where we're all next to one another in person together discussing things, because I feel like that's a lot more beneficial than um, just like each person behind a screen filing by their own and then somehow having everything in just one database. I think on the topic of filing and I guess quick search times is, are there any like prep strategies, prep life hacks that you end up using that make your extemp experience easier? Um, not really strategies or anything, but I always like to give myself as much speaking like practice time as possible. And so typically like I go for a 15, 15 split, but sometimes like that gets thwarted, but Um, I would say it's just like everyone has their, oh, for me, actually, in-person tournaments is like, I have to know the direction of where I'm going, like the classroom or the building. Um, That's something I've always not really liked is just the fact that, well, I think it has to do with me. Like, I don't have that good of a sense of direction. So that like 10 minute period in the middle of prep to go walk to your room or your round is just not enough for me. Um, So having to like map out and know exactly where I'm going so I don't lose any like practice speaking time has been something that has been really helpful for me. 
I mean, I'd say my general prep strategy is just copy paste the question in the Google search bar. I'll do a quick first searches of relevant topics, just kind of phrases related to the question. If I have an idea of where I want to go with it, I'll just do some searches as well. So ideally, I'll have like four just search tabs up and running. I'll just spam open maybe seven, ten articles, however many it may be that I think are going to be relevant. I've tried to command F a bit more to find some specific phrases. Otherwise, it's just kind of rapid fire scrolling for anything relevant. I would say a big tip that I haven't picked up on until this year specifically is you can reorder your points while you're prepping. You don't have to write them down in the order you're going to give it. In fact, that's not advisable. I would say it's been super helpful to kind of write my points down as the information comes to me. Because say I find my point three, like first thing, and my point one just takes forever. It's so much easier to just get those easy points out of the way with and have them frame the rest of your content than just struggle trying to find the first point and then get really stressed out because you're running out of prep time. I'd say typically I aim for a 15-15 split. This year, for whatever reason, I don't know why, my splits have been atrocious. I think some rounds at Stanford I was pushing... I think one round, I only had five minutes. I went 25-5, which is atrocious. I'd say the first in-person tournament back from Stanford, totally fine. I knew the building. I knew the rooms. But the second tournament back, new building, never been in that tournament before. And I realized how big of a mistake I'd made to run like 20, or sorry, 18-12. Like, I couldn't find my rooms. I didn't have time to work on rhetoric. And so I've noticed... In prelims especially, I can pretty consistently get away with really, really bad prep differentials because I can speak relatively fluently. But when it comes to final rounds where you have to care about your really rhetorically charged sentences, we have to be really hitting every single opportunity to make an impact on the judge. Having more time to practice is really, really helpful. So I'm trying to slowly make the trudge back to 15-15. Who knows if I'll get there. Don't worry. A 25-5 split is called a K. Rollins split. So you're in good company. Now we wanted to talk about what the rest of the season looks for you guys. So what's the next big tournament you guys are going to? Um, for me, it's UKTOC. That is the one I've signed up for. Um, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to go to nationals this year, just depending on how my summer looks. Um, but that's the major one. And I didn't do that many, like at the beginning of the year either. And so, you know, I've gone to like three tournaments total this year. So Michelle, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you, didn't you final at TOC last year? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how does it feel going back to an in-person TOC for, I guess, the first time in a while? Um, definitely a lot scarier. Cause I kind of mentioned like in-person tournaments, I just am not as used to them as I am to online. Cause that was the majority of the format I've been competing in, but it's also my senior year. So I think there's a lot less of just like competitive pressure in a way. And more so I just really want to enjoy like my last tournament in person. The rest of my season is really, really busy. I've been doing tournaments basically every week since the new year. Um, with the exception of, I think, two weeks at the beginning of January. Next week, I'll have national qualifiers. Shout out Southern Minnesota. Minnesota has, I think, three districts, the two main ones, Southern and Central. Of those, Southern is objectively way easier. This is going to look so bad for me if I don't qualify. 
I'm, I wouldn't be prepared for that. But anyway, Southern Minnesota is historically easier. So hopefully that isn't too big of a deal. Central Minnesota, they have it really bad. That's where especially you have all of the Eastview people concentrated. And so every year in central Minnesota, you have at least two, if not three people, IX and DX. You're like, they totally would have called in a normal district, but it's central Minnesota. So what can you do? After that, next week, I'll have sections. I'm unfortunately in arguably the most competitive section in Minnesota, section six AA. And I got dropped in the final round last year for a joke that my panel of notoriously content-heavy judges did not appreciate. I did not know that they hated jokes going into the round. I didn't do my due diligence. I didn't know the reputation. That backfired on me horribly. So hopefully I have a better showing this year. But once again, that's going to be a very tough tournament. And then I've been really trying to qualify for all of the TOCs. Hopefully I can go to UK TOC, ETOC, NITOC. Who knows? I think I have two ETOC bids. If not, I can probably qualify with an at-large bid or an application, whatever the process is. And then after that, NCFLs, super excited for that, and then Nats. So hopefully hitting all five of the remaining big tournaments. It's going to be a very, very busy spring. I might regret it later, but right now I'm looking forward to it. Oh, wow. So all three TOCs and a pretty busy schedule. Um, Screw the APs. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Then, are there any competitors at some of these larger TOCs, national tournaments, that you're excited or afraid to compete against? Well, I'm afraid to compete against everyone. Um, you know, I, I still think, however bad it sounds, that Stanford was a statistical anomaly and that competing against the big names will not go down well for me. So I'm excited to see how that plays out. Hopefully it does well. I would be super excited if I quarterfinal, semifinal at at least one of those. Yeah, I'm not I'm not at the level where I can be singling out individual people, hoping I don't get them in rounds. Yeah, that's that's just not the strat for me. It will be exciting though, hopefully to meet some other people who I've seen in the final round videos or the few who I spectated at NSDAs. But yeah. Other than that, just excited to see how it goes. I'll be there for the experience rather than for the results. I agree with Aiden. I think just like the senior year mindset is more like enjoy your time there rather than be super hyper worried about every single round and the people that are in it. So I guess one thing I'm looking forward to is I have not met a lot of people in person that I've like either heard of or been against in like online rounds. So I'm excited to meet them in person because I remember like when I went to NBA that year, um, like everyone there, like some, some of the people have, like I've never met before. And so it was nice just to like get to see them for the first time in person and spend like time with them. And so I think that's the same mindset I'll have going into my last tournament of like my entire speech career. So reflecting back on Extemp, is there anything you would change when it comes to the event or like a specific role that you have an issue with? I've heard some people argue that using the internet is a cheat code and it makes Extemp worse overall. I disagree. I think that no tournament should place restrictions on whether you can use the internet. Again, it goes back to equity. Big schools have the resources to file. You can have a whole system going. In some big teams, you can definitely have a person per region. That is not feasible for a small school. 
where, especially if not everyone on your team is motivated, you realistically have one or two people filing for either all of the United States or the whole world. And that doesn't go down well. It's just an undue amount of stress. Then, as far as something I'd like to see more of, CrossX. Oh my goodness. My bestie, the draw manager, Arthur Harris from Bloomington. He is my absolute favorite draw manager ever. At the Bloomington tournament that he runs, he tries to do something interesting every round, or every every final round every year. So last year it was some pretty interesting questions like, which two countries are best suited to address X global challenge? And it was just a bunch of combinations on that. But then this year, it was CrossX, the only Minnesota local tournament to have CrossX. I loved it. It was so fun. Again, coming from a debate background, public forum specifically, I really enjoy the opportunity to grill others. And also, I think it's super important to have to defend your own speech, especially if you don't necessarily know what you're talking about. It is so fun and educational to understand where your flaws are, how you can kind of rebuild them in the future. And so I think I'd like to see that at a lot of Minnesota local tournaments. And then in like every single out round at major tournaments, because it's absurd to think that there are some people who are kind of BSing their content. Maybe they're getting parent judges. Um, but because there's no cross-ex, there's really no opportunity for critical engagement to determine if you actually know your stuff and if your content actually holds up to scrutiny beyond just sounding good. Um, okay, so I would say this isn't a rule about extent, but I just wish that like the NSDA resources where they have like all the final round videos in past years, it would be really helpful if that was like free to the public. I know that's probably not a possibility, but it's just that like when I first started out, the first thing that I did was like search up like and like extemp video example, because that's I feel like a lot of times you learn by watching. And so for a lot of newcomers in the activity who may not have like the resources and their school and have the coaching, um, it's really helpful to see like people who have done really well in the activity and kind of be able to analyze their speech. And there were, I think, a few videos of like the NSD working in collaboration with past competitors where they got to analyze and break down their speech. And all of those are really helpful. Um, so it would obviously be really great if that was accessible to everyone. Then do you all have any advice for freshman versions of you? Like you could jump back in time a couple of years and tell a young semper a couple of good words. What would that advice be? I think one thing is just even if you're so like there's like the division between IX and NX. And I think even if you start out early and think you're a NX person, let's say uh, you shouldn't restrict yourself in that domain. And you should really like explore and be well versed with a lot of things, because for me, I always used to like when I used to do practice speeches and when I was forced to by my coach, I would always like stick with only IX questions because I really did not like exploring or like experimenting with NX. But I think as I grew older, I started to realize like, you know, it's nice to get that like breath in terms of like different topic areas. And it also helps, especially at the tournaments where um, there isn't a division between IX and NX and it's like mixed STEM. And I think another thing is just uh, consistency helps a lot. So there are a lot of people who do like practice speeches super consistently. And that's why like in specific rounds, they do extremely well. And also for me, even if I wasn't a huge fan of practice speeches, going to tournaments consistently and having the opportunity to do that really helped me out because I was pretty much getting like a practice um, every single weekend or so in the past few years. I would definitely say utilize online resources. I wish I'd found final round videos 
way earlier in my career. I wish Extemper's Bible was around way early in my career, especially substructure. Stanford is the only tournament where I've really intentionally focused on making sure I have solid substructure, and I guess it paid out for me. So I would wish I'd known about all of that sooner. Um, I think the other thing is, in lieu of watching final round videos, like watch final rounds at your local tournaments. Again, just go up to good speakers on your local circuit, ask them the same questions that I guess I tried to answer here. Like, how did you get good? Like, what do you do in extemp? What makes your version of extemp unique? And then people often say, like, just have fun. I don't think that's advice. I think that adds stress to people who struggle to make fun of an inherently anxiety-inducing situation. Where you're under time constraints, you have to give a speech about a topic you're often unfamiliar with. But I would say, kind of the mindset of your early years in extemp aren't your years to do well competitively. They're your years to build a foundation of knowledge, of technique, and also to kind of try to enjoy the activity in whatever way possible. It doesn't mean you're trying to force yourself to have fun, but maybe it means you recognize that your results don't really matter, right? Like, you can just kind of be silly and goofy, and that that aspect of not taking yourself too seriously will be a lot more fun. Um, and then I would say a little bit later down the line, it's also pretty important for people to kind of interrogate themselves about why they're an extemp or like what their desired return on investment is, right? Like I see a lot of great extempers, they do extemp for its own sake because they love the activity, but there's also quite a few, especially in recent memory, who do extemp and then they kind of go off and do something completely different in college and beyond because they use extemp as an opportunity to develop research skills, develop public speaking skills, um, as kind of a skill as opposed to an end in and of itself. Okay. Um, next, we wanted to say, ask what you were your best AGDs or on tops or little moments you've given in your speeches. Maybe it could be the vibe. It doesn't have to be a specific moment. I've always kind of discounted introductions. I've never liked them. They've always just kind of been something I do at the very end, like right before I enter my room. Okay, what can I think of? And so it wasn't until, until late last year or this year where I started sourcing in my intros. Maybe I did that earlier. I don't really know, but it definitely wasn't as nuanced as I did this year. I would say I don't really have any favorite intros, favorite jokes. Um, it changes up quite a lot. I will say for the Minnesota extempers that know, I'm not going to elaborate, but my sections intro, I will stick by that intro. I love it. But what um, was the it intro? Oh boy. I, I'll tell you separately, but like for the people in the know, I stand by it. The judges didn't like it, but I do. It was a bold choice. It didn't work out. Uh, I might not have done it again, but hey, for the context, like it, it's memorable. It'll stick with me. I think for me, I like Aiden, I've always also not been someone who like pre-plans out the AGD or like the introduction just because that's not something I typically do, but I think that also is a good thing in the sense that a lot of times it's like a random moment or a random joke that just pops up when I'm prepping. And sometimes it doesn't always work out, but um, in the times that it does, I think I, I end up like patting myself on the back that I can come up with something because I'm not the typical person who can just like make a whole crowd laugh with like a one-liner or something like that. 
And what about some of your favorite or least favorite questions that you've gotten in your time and during Extemp? I think my favorite round area has always been Asia, just because um, like I myself know the lang- like two languages in the East Asian region. So I'm like my parents are from China, so I grew up speaking Chinese. And also I started learning Korean a few years back. And I think having able to have like that linguistic understanding of a region and more or less a cultural understanding as well really helps when it comes to translating to political understanding. Because when I'm speaking about regions in the world where I've never visited or simply don't know much about their culture or language, there's inherently this barrier when I'm talking about like policies in the area. But because I have a deep vested like interest in knowledge about like the culture in East Asia, it does help and like translate into um, when I'm discussing their politics. And I think that's something that a lot of even like diplomats nowadays, like I think it would really have benefit if they knew that country's language. Whenever like the round topic area is Asia, then I feel excited and ready to go and everything else. I'm just like, okay, bring it on. The only topic area where I actually have something like just vague in mind before round would be U.S. foreign policy. I really like it. This year especially, I've been really leaning hard into great power competition intros. Oh man, the so PF the topic. PF, yeah, that's just amazing. I love that so much. Um, so I'd say U.S. foreign policy, but also energy and the environment. I know a few extempers have had some bad experiences with that topic round, specifically at NAS. Um, but I personally really, really enjoy it. I think it's super, super fun. All right, then. So we're just about done. Our final question to y'all is any last imparting words? Um, I guess I'll go. So I think one thing that Aiden said earlier, like really stuck with me, it's that some people like some people go into extemp thinking like extemp is kind of like the last stop, but that becomes kind of like a platform for other things that they end up doing in life or things that they really love, like extemp introduces things to them. And I think that speaks a lot to the way that I approach the activity. So I kind of went into it thinking, oh, it's just another speech and debate event. But then I ended up finding that I really enjoyed learning about like international relations and foreign policy through extemp. And so this actually speaks to something like last year um, when I had the decision, basically I was going to go to nationals last year, but then I had um, like an opportunity to study abroad on this scholarship from the government. And it was like something I really didn't want to turn down. And it was also something that like came from extemp kind of like the reason why I even wanted to pursue that in the first place was because of all the knowledge that I garnered from Extemp and like realizing that I really like learning about how like different countries are like engaged diplomatically in such things. And so um, kind of taking that, I would say that that's something that really stuck with me with what Aiden said and was something that I agree with too, is that um, Extemp and like tournaments are definitely not the last stop. A lot of times they could be like a way to help foster your love for something in this realm. And so um, yeah, that would be kind of my last piece of advice or word on this. Yeah, I totally agree with what Michelle said. Said, well, I can't talk late at night. Just finished a local. Anyways, I would say, yeah, it's super important to kind of consider what your priorities are in the activity. I think that oftentimes I've seen people on my own team, on other teams, who are kind of feeling a bit down about their time in extemp. Maybe they've graduated, almost graduating, or in the midst of their time in the activity, but they don't really have a sense of purpose about what they're doing. They're kind of just going through the motions, giving speeches, giving practice speeches. But I think that if you have a 
even loosely defined idea of what you hope to get out of the activity, that makes things a lot more enjoyable. Because if you want to use Extem to develop your public speaking skills, okay, like it doesn't really matter what judges think necessarily if you're becoming more fluent, if you're not as scared in front of an audience anymore. If you wanted to extempt to improve your research abilities, then maybe the opposite applies. Or if you wanted to extempt to be the best, if you wanted to extempt to succeed competitively, then that just sets your expectations for how you ought to engage with the activity. And I think that especially talking about like cooperation within your own team, that can also be super helpful because it can definitely be frustrating to interact with people who have different priorities than you. But you might not know what each other's priorities are, and you can't really help anyone become better um, at the activity itself unless you know what that end goal is. Okay, thank you so much for being here today, guys. Thanks for listening to the Extempers Bible Podcast. And if you're interested in more free Extemp resources, including weekly questions and content briefs written by some of the greatest Extempers, be sure to check out our website, extempers.org, and our Instagram page at Extempers Bible. We'll catch you next time with an interview from the Harvard finalists. But until then, I hope everyone is enjoying the plethora of state championships. In the meantime, stay reading.